0: This evening, I wanted to uh, take some time to explore the subject of happiness, which includes the practice of a sympathetic joy that you've been doing for the past couple of weeks, but also to make it um, an exploration of a much larger field than uh, just sympathetic joy. It's an important subject because the the lightness of heart and mind that it brings can bring such a balance uh, to our practice that we so need in in this world that is so weighed down by suffering and so hard to pull our minds into that kind of balance sometimes because of the, the weight of suffering in ourselves and in the world. It brings us to a kind of balance that for me is... Uh, magically produced. It's, you know, all of a sudden I see, for example, the other day um, with the sunshine, I saw a few of you just basking out there, you know, laying down in the grass or on, a, on one of the benches and taking in the warmth and the sunlight. And I was feeling kind of low. And when I saw that, there just sprang... Um, a very spontaneous happiness for those of you who who knows if you were enjoying that or not. I don't know what's really going on in your heart and mind, but uh, at least I had some happiness to see that 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 was happening and the possibility for that happiness to arise for you if it hadn't already. And so I felt this inner lightness, this inner... um, you know this weight of the dukkha kind of lift from my shoulders from my heart and i could feel the lightness of heart and mind come and restore a kind of balance uh, to my body mind heart that helped me and you know for a while so i find that it's really really supportive to incline the mind there to find the places where this lightness of mind and heart can be uh, in our lives so it's not substantially about getting anything as we know this kind of happiness it's not about acquiring anything but as we know in this sympathetic joy practice it's more about appreciating happiness in others appreciating the the simple kinds of happinesses that we find in our own life and Maybe the very simple kinds of happiness is that we never knew we could enjoy here, like just feeling the leaves crunch under our feet and um, hearing a bird song on a really cold day and seeing the snowflakes fall on that day a couple of weeks ago when out of the blue on a sunshiny day some snowflakes began falling. So just those kinds of simple happinesses can really bring a kind of balance to our practice, a kind of balance to our lives. So it's about appreciating. It's about letting go of our agendas when we, even our agendas about practice, about achieving anything in practice, letting go of everything, those moments when we feel that there can just be the moment and the knowing of it. There can just be maybe a moment after that of appreciating that previous moment. So it's not by being weighed down, also by seeing through the lens of ignorance. When sometimes we see things as they are, even when they're difficult, that kind of confidence that comes in the mind uh, to be able to see things as they are, even when they're difficult, brings a lightness to the mind. That confidence is some kind of happiness that comes also. So tonight, some of the kinds of happinesses we can rejoice in and we can develop by giving attention to them are these kinds of happinesses. And I'd like to review some of them briefly and then go over Uh, sympathetic joy in in a more um, complete way as possible. So there's the happiness that comes from gratitude. I'd like to touch on that this evening. And Carol spoke beautifully on the kind of happiness that comes from generosity. So just to complete um, this talk, I want to touch a little bit on that. The happiness that comes from virtuous activity, from sila, from keeping the precepts of non-harming. The happiness that comes from protecting our heart and mind from the hindrances through the practice of concentration or the samatha practices. And the happiness that comes from panya, from wisdom, the uh, protecting us from the wrong view of life, seeing the world through the lens of wisdom, through the lens of this is how things are, without rejecting, without denying, without ignoring, without trying to look someplace else because it's more comfortable in another place, but being able to open to to it all. The Buddha said that there are two kinds of remarkably rare and precious beings in this world those who are generous, and those who are grateful. So first about gratitude. For me, I noticed that um, while it's coming up a lot at this time of the retreat, it, it definitely comes up because a lot of us, of course, are grateful for the opportunity to be here, to be really who we are and to see that clearly, and to have this kind of total support that we can't get uh, in any other place or in rare places in the world to be able to have the support to just be and to feel that beingness in all its totality. So, of course, we have the gratitude of being here and to all those beings who have supported us. And then we have the gratitude... And the happiness of going home, you know, looking forward to that. So there's a lot of natural happiness that comes to the mind, being able to be with our loved ones again and having our own bed and, you know, being the greedy type. I think of my own covers and my own teacup and, you know, of course, uh, it's all impermanent. But nevertheless... it's still enjoyable, you know, and it's more enjoyable when the impermanence of it is seen. And, and that so that's the wisdom part of it. So gratitude dissolves that sense of being separate, you know, and when that sense of being separate isn't there, um, when there's that deep sense of interconnectedness, there's a lot of happiness in the mind. There's this very deep kind of recognition and sometimes outright acknowledgement that my uh, beingness in this life depends on the kindness of a lot of people. Uh, And their beingness, the beingness of people around me, depend on my kindness too. So there's that deep interconnectedness and that for moments at a time, you know, when I'm not thinking about me and them or... um, you know you and me, when there's just this uh, this being here breathing this breath this this air together, and um there's no separation, and the gratitude that comes from experiencing that can bring a lot of happiness to me that's um that's a true holy communion with life um, as being raised as a catholic a Catholic. Uh, Holy Communion meant a lot to me. And um, I felt a, a, a different kind of Holy Communion in this sense of connectedness, in this sense of deep interconnectedness where there's no me, no you, no us, no them, moments at a time, this kind of Holy Communion with life. So these ways of feeling gratitude and the happiness that comes with that um, it's important to check out when that happens with us. And so during these days, there might be spontaneous spurts of gratitude in our minds. So I, I encourage you to be with that, to um, incline the mind towards really noticing that, not just to get you know to the next thing that happens, the next step or the next breath, but really to investigate that moment, be with that moment and sense, be able to sense maybe uh, if it's there, that deep relaxation that can come in the body, that deep relaxation that can come in the mind and that very quiet kind of happiness that comes that doesn't have to do with laughing out loud but it, it just has to do with something that, that uh, is like d- a deep running current in the stream of our hearts and our minds, that maybe it's possible to be in touch with that more often when we become familiar with that place. The Buddha said, in short, a grateful person is mindful of benefits done towards him or her. This gratitude is altogether a feature of the best people. And I know each one of us are in this category in our own ways. It's just taking time to touch into that place and realize the goodness that's, that's there within us and the happiness that comes from realizing that. I, I came to learn this through the Tibetan teachings, and so I'm not sure if they are in any other teachings. Um, and I came across this today again. It said that there are four most precious things in this world. Came across that piece of paper. And um, as I read each one of them, I became uh, more grateful for these things that I sometimes can take for granted. So the first is, of these four most precious things, is taking human birth. And the second is hearing the Dhamma. So, of course, because we've taken human birth, we're able to hear the Dhamma, we're able to hear teachings. And I don't mean to be exclusive about those teachings. There are many teachings that show us the way to the end of suffering, each in its own time, valuable to us. And so at this time, hearing the Dhamma, the truth, in this setting that we have here. Because we've taken human birth and we're able to understand words and we're able to uh, decipher and we're able to discern and we're able to touch into that inherent wisdom that we all have, there's a possibility for freedom by hearing the truth, the Dhamma. The third one is finding a teacher. So temporarily for this time, uh, you have five teachers, you know, and, and six, including Joseph, who you've been hearing on Saturdays or whenever that day is, that uh, we play Joseph Goldstein's tape, that the, the benefit and the gratitude for the benefit of having it in this time this these five teachers um, that, you know, we're all offering to you the best we can. And um, in... in as much completeness as we can, the the Dhamma. And we know there's much, much more to be offered, but we just do the best we can. And the fourth one is getting enlightened. Well, we're all still working on that one, but the possibility for that is there. And uh, these are the four most precious things that uh, gratitude can be there for them in the buddhist teachings it said that taking human birth is so rare and precious that it's like this supposing that in the vast seven oceans there's one turtle and also in the vast seven oceans there's one hoop or one you know circular kind of um yoke that's floating around in these seven oceans, just one. And every hundred years, that turtle comes up and goes through that hoop, that circular hoop. It said that those are the chances of us taking birth in this human realm. Now, I, I really don't know whether to believe that or not, but maybe it's true. And instead of taking my life for granted, I tend to lean in the direction of believing how precious this human birth is. Because it it may spring, it may be the cause of springing up in me some generosity, uh, some gratitude for that, some ability to not take my life for granted, to make every moment count as much as I can, as much as I can be awake for, and to be compassionate for the times that I can't be awake. It's not easy, but no matter how difficult our lives have been with our parents, we came through them in this life. And it said in the text, along with uh, one of the readings I just gave you, it said that we could carry, I'm paraphrasing, We could carry our parents on our shoulders for the rest of our lives. And even if they defecate on us during that time, we could never repay them for bringing us into this life. It's that kind of um, gratitude that we might be able to touch into even once in a while. So when I remember this gratitude, it's followed by a quiet happiness that I had parents to bring me into this life, even though I didn't know my real father uh, much, and it wasn't always easy with my mother, and, um, but I honor her. Today's her birthday, so I gave, made an offering for her, and Steve and I made offering for both of our parents today. And um, she would have been 90 had she lived. She died this March. So there's um, a lot of gratitude. It's interesting, I I was telling someone today that it's interesting that how when someone passes away, you kind of feel closer to them. You know, you feel their spiritual um, body a lot more when their physical body is in here so that the separation is not there so much. So I found on the web an experiment done by a a psychology department at the University of Miami in 2003. And there might have been more, but this was the one I found. And it was all about counting our blessings instead of our burdens. And the experiment was about the effect of a grateful outlook on our psychological well-being and our physical well-being. So, of course, I was interested in reading more about it. So I took it all together and put these um, facts together in short. The participants were randomly assigned to one of three experimental conditions. And those three conditions were um, uh, a kind of reviewing the hassles in their life, having a listing of gratitude, making a listing of things to be grateful for, and sort of neutral life events. They kept weekly records of the moods, their coping behaviors, their health behaviors, and their overall life appraisals during this time. The Gratitude Outlook groups exhibited heightened well-being across all studies, and the results suggested that a conscious focus on the blessings have an emotional and interpersonal benefit this heightened well-being. So it really interested me in uh, keeping a daily look at what to be grateful for. Carol mentioned to me sometime, maybe it was last year, that she was participating in, um, in something where she and a friend write to each other about what they're grateful for each day or email each other from time to time. Maybe not at each day, but... I always thought that would be a good thing to do, and after I read this, I thought maybe it really is a good thing to do, taking stock of our blessings instead of the burdens. It's so easy for us to have sympathetic suffering you know, with, with each other. We talk about what's difficult, and it's kind of a bonding thing for us. Yeah, this happened. Oh, yeah, this happened to me, too. Yeah, it's really hard, isn't it? And, you know, you got to come up with something even harder than the other one uh, came up with to, to make the other one feel better about their life, almost. And so it, it's not easy to share uh, blessings sometimes. So it's important to find someone you can share your blessings with. At this time every year when we're here during Thanksgiving, when I give uh, the talk around Thanksgiving, I like to read the Maha Mangala Sutta because it really points out the blessings that uh, we have already in our lives. So I wanted to read it this evening um, as a close to this piece on gratitude because It's one of the most beautiful uh, suttas in the teachings of the Buddha for me. The Mahamangala Sutta is about the highest blessings. And so it goes like this. Listen carefully and you may notice some blessings in your own life. Thus have I heard, once the Buddha was dwelling near Savati in the Jetta Grove at Anattapindika's monastery, Then, as the night was passing away, a deity of surpassing radiance illuminated the entire Jetta Grove and came to the presence of the Blessed One, drawing near, respectfully saluted, and stood at one side. Standing thus, that deity, or celestial being, addressed the Blessed One with a verse, Many devas, or celestial beings, And human beings, wishing for well-being, yearning after good, have pondered on blessings. Pray, tell me the supreme blessing. And the Blessed One responded in this way. Not to follow or associate with fools, to associate with the wise, and honor those who are worthy of honor. This is the highest blessing. To reside in a suitable locality, To have done meritorious actions in the past and to set oneself on the right course, this is the highest blessing. Education, craft, a well-trained discipline. A well-trained in wise speech, this is the highest blessing. The support of mother and father, the cherishing of partner and children, and a peaceful occupation. This is the highest blessing. Generosity, wise conduct, helping relatives, and blameless actions. This is the highest blessing. Ceasing and abstaining from the unwholesome, restraint with respect to intoxicants, and steadfastness in virtue. This is the highest blessing. Reverence, humility, contentment, gratitude and the timely hearing of the Dhamma, this is the highest blessing. Patience, obedience, willingness to be corrected, association with exemplars of the Dhamma life, and discussion of the Dhamma at the right time, this is the highest blessing. Self-control, perception of the noble truths, and the realization of Nibbana, this is the highest blessing. When one's mind is not shaken when affected by the worldly vicissitudes, sorrowless, stainless, and secure, this is the highest blessing. Those fulfilling matters such as these are everywhere unconquered. They go everywhere in safety, in every way, move happily. To them, these are the highest blessings. So this is about the happiness that comes from blessings, acknowledging our blessings in our life. Gratitude. And now just a little piece about generosity. Carol covered it quite a bit last night. And just to uh, complete in this talk about the happinesses that can come, it's said that generosity is completely surrounded by happiness because when you check out in your own heart and mind before you, uh, you act generously in any way through your thought, through your words, through your deeds, um, through opening your heart, through giving of your time, through giving of your energy, just when you have the intention if you check it out in your heart, there's some happiness there. There's some lightness of mind there because of the, um, the direction of the mind and heart to let go. And the mind knows that there's some lightness coming, that happiness that comes from letting go. During the time of giving, when we check it out within us, there's that happiness there. Being able to let go brings that happiness, not holding on. Afterwards, uh, when we remember our times of giving upon reflection, it also has an uplifting quality, not in the way that is egotistical, that says, I'm so good, but it's in a way that says, generosity is good, letting go is good. It's beautiful. You see that. It's not personal. And it lifts the heart. It makes one happy. I've told this story many times, but, you know, in the monasteries in Burma, when people give a meal, um, those donors actually come and watch the others eating. And it makes them very happy. The whole families come. Sometimes villages come. And... Um, They watch while we're eating our meals, our food that they have donated, and they're beaming with joy. And uh, also, um, you know, it's not about that they were a good person. It's just that they know the benefit of that kind of letting go and that kind of happiness that comes from letting go. We have a friend um, who gave bone who had given bone marrow and it's a very painful thing to do actually i'm told and the second time he gave bone marrow he was sitting around here we went out to have lunch it was one one of those beautiful summer days and um he was having a fever and undergoing a lot of pain from just having given this bone marrow and i i said why you you did this and you know that it's painful and you did it again, that that really is remarkable that you gave again this bone marrow. And he said, you know what, Kamala? The happiness that came from giving is greater than the pain. So that realization of the happiness was so important uh, and so outstanding to him. As a body no longer has the physical luster, you know, I notice that um, I enjoy beauty in the in nature, in in seeing beauty in life, in in beautiful colors and beautiful ways that homes are put together and whatever is put together in a beautiful, creative way. And um, I also know, of course, that it's not permanent in. Whatever, in the body, uh, inside, outside. But what becomes more lustrous is the beauty of uh, the mind and heart when we become more generous, when we become more grateful, and all the beautiful qualities that make the mind and heart shine. And so that, as we get older, that's what we're developing. So happiness of um, gratitude, the happiness of generosity. Then there's a happiness of virtuous activity, living in harmony with others, which creates an inner harmony, keeping of the precepts of non-harming. We all can feel that happiness that comes when, you know, especially I feel a lot when I'm not speaking because there's so much that can come out of the mouth, you know, without thinking or putting your foot in your mouth. And there's a lot of uh, guilt that can come from that. There's a lot of feelings of remorse that can come. And when I'm not speaking at all, I just feel so clean. Um, And a lot of happiness comes from just that one precept that we keep here, that noble silence. You'll see when you go home, you know, speaking more, and wondering, did I say the right thing? You know, did I did I hurt myself by not being really um, truthful? Did I hurt others by not being really truthful? You know, there's a lot of mm, not really feeling of that purity when that happens. Keeping the precepts of non-harming, you know, we we really feel the goodness, the natural goodness of our hearts when we do that. So a happiness comes from that. We also create a field of happiness all around us, and happiness is derived from that too because we know that what we're offering when we can is we're offering the gift of safety to others around us who know that uh, we're, we're doing the best we can to keep the precepts. We're not going to harm one another. We do the best we can to do that. So there's a joy that comes from that, from that field of inner happiness, the outer happiness that comes from sila or virtuous activity in our speech, in our actions. And then there's a happiness that comes from training the mind to be free from the hindrances, even temporarily to be free from the defilements, And that comes from the practice of samatha, the practice of concentration, where the hindrances are kept at bay because of the strong concentration of the mind. It creates a force field where temporarily we begin to feel the purity of the mind and the heart. And this is wonderful because it gives us a glimpse of what it could be when this, when Greed, hatred, and delusion are um, not there or have lessened to quite a degree. The kind of lightness of mind that can come from there, the energy that comes from a a joy that that comes from concentration. And then there's the joy of seeing the Dhamma, Panya, wisdom, the development of wisdom seeing things as they really are, even when they're difficult. See the deep, with deep understanding the laws of cause and effect, the laws of karma. We understand that the impermanence, the, um, the conditionality of all of life. We stop running after things and away from things because we understand that there's no permanent satisfaction anywhere. And so that deep understanding, that panya comes, that um, purification of views that comes in the mind and heart that brings a kind of happiness that's unshakable. So all of these ways that happiness is developed, gratitude, generosity, living in harmony, uh, concentration, and also the development of panya, The Buddha says, when the mind is pure, joy follows like a shadow that never ceases. So those are the kinds of happinesses that we have been nourishing, that we've been developing here, that hopefully over time there will be a natural inclination of the mind towards to know that terrain of the mind um, more definitely, in a more defined way to become familiar with that, to make the pathway there so the pathway there becomes clear. It's not obscured in any way. So now I'd like to talk about sympathetic joy, the practice that you've all been doing in the past, uh, the past two Tuesdays. When the Dalai Lama, His Holiness, was asked what the meaning of life was, of course he gives many answers, but this time to this audience, he said to be happy and to make others happy. And of course, this isn't the kind of shallow happiness about getting things, about having things our way, uh, or about being right, but it's a kind of deep happiness that comes from these practices that I just, mentioned. It's um, a stable kind of happiness. The stability comes because of knowing the pathway there. It's not because it's always there, but it's because we know the pathway to those places. So what is happiness? It's so elusive, so ungraspable. It's hard to describe. There's one poem um, in recent times from Naomi Shihab Nye about just about happiness that can kind of describe the feeling of it. So I want to uh, read the, the part of it that pertains to our practice here. It's difficult to know what to do with happiness, so much happiness. With sadness, there is something to rub against a wound to tend with lotion and cloth. When the world falls in around you, you have pieces to pick up, something to hold in your hands, like ticket stubs or change. But happiness floats. It doesn't need you to hold it down. It doesn't need anything. Happiness lands on the roof of the next house singing and disappears when it wants to. Either way, you are happy. Since there is no place large enough to contain so much happiness, you shrug, you raise your hands, and it flows out of you into everything you touch. You are not responsible. You take no credit, as the night sky takes no credit for the moon, but continues to hold it and share it, and in that way be known. So as I mentioned, uh, this kind of happiness has nothing to do with acquiring or getting something. Or the other part of that is nothing to do with getting rid of anything. You know, like if this pain goes away, then I'll be happy. Or if this, you know, person goes away, then I'll be happy. Um, Or if I get this person, then I'll be happy. You know, it, has, it doesn't have to do with that, but mostly has to do with letting go of our agenda, letting go of tanha, of craving, of desire. And really then we feel that happiness. It's beginning to understand the inner workings of the mind and the heart. Not wanting, not needing anything, feeling a sense of completeness in this moment. Shantideva says, All the joy the world contains has come through wishing happiness for others. All the misery the world contains has come through wanting pleasure for oneself. And I might add, only for oneself. Because of course we want pleasure for ourselves. This is natural, this is our human instinct. But when it's all about me, when it's all about mine, when it's all about um, this is who I am, then that's when sorrow comes. That's when true happiness cannot arise. So mudita is about rejoicing. Mudita is sympathetic joy. It's a Pali word for it. It's about rejoicing in the joys of others in the joys of life. And, uh, and also, with deep wisdom, it's allowing those joys to come and go. So Mudita is not about enjoying what there is to enjoy about the happiness of others, but also knowing that they're temporary. So to me, this makes that kind of happiness for the happiness of another much more precious because you know deep in that wisdom mind that it's temporary, that it's not going to last. So when we say the phrase in our mudita practice, may you enjoy your happiness, uh, and sometimes we say, may your happiness never cease, but we know that's not true. It will cease, but we want it to last as long as possible for that friend, for that being, for even when we get to that point, even for the difficult person. So when we understand the, the truth of life, uh, it has more meaning for us. It has deeper meaning. So we can allow the joys to come and go like butterflies on flowers without holding on. You know, enjoy that moment of seeing a dragonfly just kind of dip down into a pool or a butterfly, land on a flower, and it won't last, but that moment of joy is beautiful. It's having um, life's happinesses with an open petaled heart, you know, not closing our heart every time happiness comes because we want to keep it there. This is a profound sign of our friendship when we can tune into the happiness that we have for others because it's not requiring them to enjoy their happiness in any particular way you know if of course if their happiness comes from wholesome sources but to see that you know may you enjoy your happiness i got a big lesson about this when um A few years ago, well, I guess it was quite some time ago now that uh, the daughter that Steve and I raised, uh, Therese, another royalty now to Therese, since I'm telling a story about her, um, is when she called up because um, she wanted to have a belly button ring. And... um, I really, she said, Mom, I'm so happy about this that I'm going to have a belly button ring. But I could not enjoy that happiness with her. It was really hard for me to open to her happiness. And I had to really investigate that, you know. Could I really, you know, in that time she was the difficult person because of the kind of happiness that she was enjoying during that moment. Um, so she was, you know, asking our permission. We were here, and she was spending that time with her uh, father in, in Hawaii. And so I really had to look, well, there's no harm in this. You know, she can always take it off. She said she's going to take care of it. And then I looked to, you know, the, the courage that she had to do it. I mean, at this time in my life, it would be very courageous for me to a belly button ring. Um, Maybe it wasn't that courageous for her, but still, you know, it it was kind of dangerous. And also that she was making her own decision because she, as she eventually said, I, well, mom, I want your permission, but I'm going to do it anyway. So I just thought, you know, she's making her own decisions in life, and I could be happy for that. It's, it's. I could say really no if it, if it were really harmful, and she might follow that, maybe not. But still, um, I was happy for her that she could make that decision, and she did it, you know, and she enjoyed that belly button ring for a few years. And now, um, I think just recently, she... At least I noticed that she didn't have it anymore. I didn't know how long it lasted. But anyway, that was fine. And um, so it's hard sometimes to enjoy the happiness of others. And sometimes (laughs) we've got to dig really deep to see what, what part of this can we enjoy. How can we have this sympathetic appreciation for their happiness? Sometimes things are so... In our face, you know, that we can enjoy and easy to see, like when we have a connection with a child's laughter. You know, all I have to remember when I'm doing sympathetic joy practice is one of the children in my life. It doesn't even have to be one of my grandchildren, but just remembering their laugh and the kind of freedom that comes from that and the kind of purity that that comes from. And just remembering the happiness of that moment for that little being gives me a lot of joy. That the purity of that. When it you know, when we have to think of the first person, you know, person experiencing joy, usually it's a child that comes to mind for me. Or it might be something really, really simple, as somebody enjoying the fact that they got a new lipstick. You know, something for me as a woman, as mundane as that. I remember one time uh, coming in and um, I met Sharon Salzberg out in the you know staff dining room. And um, somebody remarked to her that, oh, you look really nice today. And she said, I put on lipstick. And I don't know, I was just so happy. I That was about 10 years ago. And I remember that. Today, you know, just that little moment of seeing how bright she looked during that time. Um, of course, I love women without women and men without lipstick too. So it's it's not I'm not choosing. It's not exclusive. But uh, it's just that one moment. And, People are reluctant to share their happiness in a group. You know, usually I mentioned before, we discuss our hardships and our failures, and, um, you know, it makes the other person feel better sometimes. We do it out of compassion, not out of, you know, I have more dukkha than you, but just out of compassion for the other being, you know, that we can feel their, their suffering. But can we feel their happiness, you know, do do we have our mudita mentors in our life and i i really um encourage you to to find one if you don't you know someone if you don't have someone in your life who can be happy for you i have a friend that i go to she's 93 now and i tell her about what i'm happy when i have something to be happy about i call her because she always says that's wonderful. I am so happy for you. You have made me happy today. Something like that. And it's it's a blessing to have her in my life. She's, she's a great Christian mystic, and she always says to me, she says, Jesus said, Let no one take your joy. Let no one take your joy. Of course, it's not always there, but we can find ways to incline the mind there when it's necessary. I have a Sufi friend, when, um, when I share my happiness with him, he says, double the pleasure. You know, he's, because he got pleasure from hearing my happiness. And so he says, double the pleasure. This is another elder in my life. So, in one of the texts written after the time of the Buddha, the Abhidhamma, um, this is the Buddhist psychology, the sympathetic joy or mudita is described as not mere sympathetic joy, but appreciative joy. So when I read that some years ago, I thought it's not just about being joyful about the joy of another, but it put another angle on it, another uh, spin on it. It was being appreciative of their joy. Oh, that that person can be happy in this world of suffering. That was something that stood out to me. It said the chief characteristic is a happy acceptance, a happy acceptance in others' prosperity, success, fulfillment, their joys, whatever is uplifting in their life in a wholesome way, a happy acceptance of that. We discover that joy comes with our connection to that. It's not about what they're experiencing so much as our connection, our realization of their joy. The joy is in our hearts also. To really uh, tune into that. Not just that it's in their hearts, but tune into that. It is in our hearts also. We've taken a as you all have, um uh, many of you have walks around the loop and down Mill Street there's this dog on a on a long um uh, moving chain and we learn that his name is Spirit. And so we talk to the owners once in a while. The owner comes out when when we're doing our walk and talks to us and says that Spirit likes to get, you know, some acknowledgment, some little attention, some pets. And so Steve and I always stop and and that you know loveliness that beauty of happiness that comes out the the tail wagging the tongue hanging down you know just to see the dog happy brings a lot of happiness to me and and spirit knows that she's going to get he's going to get some pets so he comes over can hardly contain his body just stand, you know and so We can hardly pet him because he's just moving around so much, but we do, and and he's just so satisfied, you know. When he when we go away, he's not going. Oh, he's he's just okay that we took that little time just to be with Spirit. Lovely name. There's kind of a what we might think is a perverse way of. When our teachers see us suffering, they're happy uh, because they know that we might be breaking through something. A lot of times when we've gone to our teachers and had this kind of, you know, dharma dukkha, this kind of deep kind of suffering, seeing uh, anicca, seeing how things are coming and going so quickly, opening to anatta, which can be sometimes scary for people. And our, our teachers get happy about this. Of course, it's not, at that time, a happiness that I can share with them because of going through that, but in, uh, it is a kind of happiness that comes about. Um, sympathetic joy, it says, this is from Nyanaponika Thera, S- uh, relieves the tension of mind and soothes the painful burning of the compassionate heart that's lost in grief when compassion is kind of swerved over to the other side of grief, it keeps compassion away from melancholic brooding without a purpose. And I love that brooding without a purpose, you know, when we um, get lost in the suffering. So this uh, sympathetic joy, this joy for um, seeing the joy in what's happening. So I tried to remember an example of this from my life and I remembered being in India waiting at the train station uh, outside of Varanasi and the train was delayed and so we got to see a lot going on. A train was delayed like six hours so a lot we got to see going on. So sitting at this train station with Manindraji sitting at my side and then um, seeing some of the people bathing in some water near the tracks. You know, there was a hose. I think the hose was used to do something, uh, water down the train or put water in, in the train when it stopped. But the people would come and bathe themselves. And I said, you know, to Manindraji, Oh, Manindraji, look, they have to bathe there. You know, that's so hard. You know, we have a bathroom too. We have a restroom we have all these um conveniences and they have to bathe there. And Manindra she said, Look, they are happy. They are bathing. They have water. You know, they're getting clean, their bodies, they are happy. So I looked more closely. Yes, they were happy, you know? And here I was in the kind of in engulfed in their in kind of this you know, overlay of suffering. But at that moment, they were fine. They were getting their daily bath. So, what are the um, impediments? Impediments, a big one, if we can see it clearly at the beginning, is comparing mind. When we begin to compare ourselves with others... This is why it's said that sympathetic joy is of the four Brahma-viharas uh, for many people the most difficult to, um, to actually experience and develop because comparing mind comes up. Someone is experiencing someone something joyful or some success and the first thing we do is compare ourselves to them. It's really important to watch this comparing mind in the very beginning so that, you know, with mindfulness, it's noticed and we really don't let ourselves get locked in or identified with that comparing mind because comparing leads to judging. And it could be judging ourselves as, um, you know, as well as judging others. I noticed there were times early on where I would compare myself to how I carry the Dharma. And when I heard someone else giving a talk, you know, and I have the kind of comparing mind which goes into inferiority mana, which is, you know, inferiority way of I'm less than someone else. I'm not as good as another person. And so, you know, there's, and there's a little more experience at noticing that now, but still kind of get lost into it. But I really had to take the time to appreciate, you know, that uh, I as well as others bring different things to the Dharma. And all of us together make uh, a whole that um, one person can't do sometimes. It takes many, many, many countless of us Um, offering the dharma and can't even come close to what the Buddha offered. But we try. We try our best. So another impediment is demeaning or diminishing as if there would be more for me if I diminished another. So that happens when we see the joy of another. It's as if, you know, we want to attack it with our, oh, they don't deserve that. Or um, you know they're they're not really a good person. why why are they having that happiness? Or it's not really all that good what they're ex- what the happiness they're experiencing as if there would be more for me if I diminished them. Envy is the far inabil- uh, the far enemy, it said it's the inability to endure the success or the prosperity of another and when some of these things comparing demeaning diminishing get really thick we can feel envy uh, as it 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 feels like envy in a very very heavy way and so uh, the energy can go towards bringing that person down the spirits of that other person down you know there's little jabs at whatever goodness that they're experiencing and so and whenever I feel this towards myself, I realize, oh, I want to be more alert to how I do that towards others. And so just feeling both sides will help us um, be more alert to the benefit of um, offering our true and pure sympathetic joy to another avarice, extreme possessiveness, hoarding what we have so no one else can have it. Um, Just a simple practical example is um, when I've been here practicing and places where I like to walk or even sit outside and, you know, wanting to rush out there so I get it first and nobody else has it or um, just seeing when Maybe sometimes when another person has gotten there before me or you know, um, is walking very beautifully and um, also in, in a way where I can see the happiness of that person, sometimes I have to really take energy to turn my mind to that happiness and feel the happiness of that person, try to share that happiness in my own heart. The near enemy is exuberance. It's a kind of obsessiveness about joy, you know, wanting to feed it. Um, That's one way of feeling the near enemy. It feels like joy, but it's kind of an overkill. It's an imbalance of our energy there. Sometimes it has some attachment there. The example I usually give is when someone wins the lottery and you want to share their joy, but you want to share their winnings too, there's something about you know sharing your joy with them that maybe you know they'll give you some. So, is t- some kind of attachment either to the joy or to the object of joy in this near enemy? And the allies I mentioned some already um, gratitude. Um, you know, a feeling of, of giving our happiness, um, generosity, um, compassion for ourselves when impediments arise, just really feeling, oh, that hurts, That's that this is why I need to develop this more, because this is painful, this comparing mind is painful, this envy mind is painful, um. This judging mind, demeaning mind is painful. This is why it's it's good to develop this mudita. So sympathetic joy is not only being happy for the happiness of others, but also caring for their happiness. And in caring for their happiness, all of the other things that I mentioned can come into play. Gratitude, generosity, sila, Uh, uh, Samatha and Panya uh, really developing wisdom about all of this so I'd like to end with, um, with something that has to do with finding our happiness and this is from Rumi today like every other day we wake up empty, and frightened. Don't open the door to the study and begin reading. Take down a musical instrument. Let the beauty we love be what we do. Let the beauty we love be what we do. There are hundreds of ways to kneel and kiss the ground. There are hundreds of ways to kneel. And kiss the ground. So let's sit for a moment. Let the beauty we are be what we do.